0: Pete. As I sit here, Victoria Castle and I just jumped off a quick FaceTime call to talk about a new project. I say that with the full intention of practicing what it will sound like when I drop her name in conversation with friends in the future. Did it sound okay? Just, you know, casually telling you that Victoria Castle and I FaceTime? Dodge introduced me to her book, The Trance of Scarcity, a few years after she'd written it. Must have been 2010 or thereabouts. It's not an undersell when I tell you it transformed the way I think about myself. It's a book that drills deeply into the heart of our inner imposter. It churns there. It skewers limiting beliefs and negative self-identity in a way that's both very real and gentle at the same time. That she agreed to be on this show, to me, as a fan seems like she's a victim of a prank some ruse a hornswoggle what's more she stuck around to talk to us for an entire two episodes the first is dedicated to the trance of scarcity that numbed state we find ourselves in when we're convinced that lack and struggle and separation represents our ultimate fate part 2 coming next week is dedicated to the cycle of abundance a salve to scarcity that reminds us what can be when we adjust our mindset accordingly. You can find her book, Where Books Are Sold, linked to the Amazon page in the notes. But please, support your local booksellers if you're able. While we're at it, we've got some other things in the works around the trance. And while they're not quite ready, if you'd like to hear more about what's coming up from Victoria, and Victoria and Dodge, in whatever form it may take... Please visit truestory.fm slash trance and leave your name. I promise, we won't sell your information, but we will let you know as soon as we have something new out there in the world you might be interested in. Again, truestory.fm slash trance. Thanks for sticking with us. This show is a continued honor to produce and deliver to you. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Victoria Castle and Dodge Ray.
1: Welcome, Victoria Castle. Uh, This has been such an example of why I started this podcast. I have long really wanted to be able to have conversations with favorite authors and thinkers like across my life and career, and you've been on that short list for about 10 years. So this is really exciting for me (laughs) to just get to have this conversation with you about your wonderful book, The Trance of Scarcity.
2: Thank you. What, what a beautiful invitation. I, I can't say no to that. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in.
1: I love it. Um, I have loved this book for a long time, um, enough that, uh, that uh, I asked you if you'd be willing to do a double episode on this where we spend the first half of the show talking about the trance of scarcity itself and laying out kind of its alternative then in the second half mm-hmm. of the show, this, in the second episode, The Cycle of Abundance. Um, So I'm excited that we'll get to do these these back-to-back and really get to spend some time with each one of them. Absolutely. Before even jumping into the trance concept itself, you begin the book with a story about a question a reporter asked Albert Einstein and his vital answer. Do you happen to remember that? Mm. He asks him, if you could ask one question of the universe, what would you ask? And he responds as though he'd been thinking about it all morning.
2: Is the universe friendly? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I love that as a beginning for this book, because you're inviting us all to to really look at how we answer that question fundamentally. Not that we ever even think of it consciously, but we live it all the time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Einstein, who was forever in investigation, Yeah, you know, he played the piano that way. He did whatever else he did that way. It was like, let's see what's here. Let's see what's here. So, but but to fundamentally operate from, I'm already in a friendly universe, let's go, versus like, I don't know if it's safe to be here, so I think I'm just going to hold back a little bit. Yeah. It creates a whole life.
1: What does that even mean? Like, what, what, what does it mean for, for somebody to live as though the universe were friendly? Mm. <laughs> and I guess that's really the nature of these two whole conversations, yeah, uh, but yeah. it's it's the it really is the place where this whole thing begins. And you go on to, to use a wonderful metaphor that you make into a, a you know, a, a real exercise that I thought maybe we'd start with here. Um, if you wanted to walk us through it, you uh, you've created that exercise you call the circle.
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I also want to say that for me, things distill down to a level of simplicity. So that then I can get in and pick them apart and let them be yeah. as complex as they want to be. So it, it is the idea of if you, an individual, let's say you're walking in the country in some spacious, safe place, and you come into a field and you see that there's a circle somehow, there's something that distinguishes a circle, and that there are people and opportunities and so on happening in that circle, that maybe aren't happening outside. So the rest of the place could look pretty quiet, but like there's something going on here. And what happens? And and if I were to step into that circle, what would become available to me? So it is a little bit like, um, you know, in, in the carnival of stepping onto the Ferris wheel, like something's happening here and I want to be what that is. And what do I get to see from there? And And who do I need to be to get in? Like, do I pay a ticket? Taker, uh and how long can i stay so it av- immediately reveals to us what my story is about me and my um, rights to be here to be here anywhere here and so if i step in and people seem to be happy and Moving and laughing and opportunities come along and all they do is just kind of pluck them and yay, that's great. Mm. And oh, but is the time up? Do I need to go now? Am I going to get in trouble for being here? So it's being able to turn up the volume on the little story in my head that says, look out, be careful. Who said Mm -hmm. you can be here? Mm. Have you earned your right to be here? You know, all that stuff, which bless our parents and all of our teachers all of them had that pushing into our brains from a very early time, whether they meant to or not. And I think most of them did not mean (laughs) to set us up with such like, you're a loser. Now Hmm. spend the rest of your life trying to earn your way in. Yeah. To simply notice what's my story about me. And if I do step into this circle and it's fluid and it's luscious and you know, people can rest and take a nap or they can ride a bike or they can do whatever they want. Then that lets me know how much permission I give myself or I need to give myself to live well. And if I yeah. have a story that I have to earn anything, earn everything, uh, that I'm not worthy, but maybe over time, I could become worthy. So many of us spend our careers trying to be worthy for something that's already in my opinion innately um, uh, installed in us (laughs) when we popped out we were innately eligible for everything that life has to offer then i can really see the person the the only thing that's keeping me trapped is my own internal story yeah and is there a way i could shift that i mean i can I could my whole life could have been opulent and lots of opportunities and people were wonderful, but if I had a story that I didn't deserve to be there, then that would squeeze down everything I had and go yeah, but they're just making an exception for me. I'm just mm-hmm. lucky. I don't deserve this, and eventually I'm going to get in trouble so, so
1: inside the circle is the experience of life is is uh, is easy and Free and things are happening for good reasons for my greater growth and there's room for joy there and there's always enough and I'm already enough and outside mm-hmm. the circle is the opposite of all of those things and yeah. and it's an exercise that I I love because it helps us get in touch so quickly with all of my reflex assumptions about the price of entry and how long I'm allowed to stay and whether I would ever qualify whether such a thing could even exist I mean come on. This is just a fantasy after all. Right. So (laughs) much. So many of us are living in this idea that, like, come on, at best, that can be, you know, a weekend morning or something. And then (laughs) reality hits, you know, here comes Monday pretty soon or something. Um, And that's that's sort of the entry into this idea of this trance of scarcity. Tell us a little bit more about what is it? What do you mean by trance for anyone yeah. who's not familiar with that? And what is this trance of scarcity?
2: What is this trance? What of is the
1: deal here?
2: Well, I, I know I, I read one interpretation about a trance is basically uh, a specific way we look at things. Like if you narrowed it all down, the trance is not enoughness, or the trance is hurry up or the trance is, you don't get to come in, or whatever it may be. But some story that I have sort of become fixated on, and not intentionally, have shaped my whole life around, have literally shaped my whole life around. So a great story on me that I remember so vividly, when I was in, I went to my first dance after a football game. So it was junior high or high school, I don't know what. And I met a guy and I danced with him. You know, there was it was a packed place. Everybody was kind of danced with. It was brand new for me, so that I had a big story about I don't deserve to be here and I'm not pretty enough and nobody's going to ask me to dance. Well, sure enough, a guy asked me to dance. We danced a couple times and he said, "Hey, I'll call you." So I wrote my number down in complete thrilling, you know, oh my god, <laughs> and came home uh, and my brother who was two years older and very very cool. I said, I met somebody. And he said he was going to call me. He goes, Yeah, great, fine, whatever. So, uh, and I, I pretty much stationed myself at the phone when I was not in class because he went to a different school. And two or three days had gone by and he hadn't called and he hadn't called. And I remember standing in the doorway of my brother's bedroom. He was at his desk studying, reading, doing whatever. And I said, Can I ask you a question? What? You know, he had to always be bored with whoever I was. And I said, if a guy says he's going to call you and then he doesn't call you, what does that mean? And I was really prepared for him to say, You're a complete loser. You could, you know, just give it up now. And he says, Without even looking up, it means he didn't call. And I stood there at the door for a minute thinking, You are so heartless. And I went, oh my God, that's, that's all that actually has taken place. Everything else I've loaded onto it, what it means and all that kind of stuff. And now he's, you know, he's writing my number on bathroom walls and doing all kinds of terrible things about it. When all I knew was he had not called.
3: And that was
2: my, that was my first, you know, clear shot of like, oh, so something happened and I assigned all the meaning to it all by myself. And my trance is not enoughness or not good enough or not whatever. So, wow, there it is. So, at the time, I thought my brother had to be the most heartless person in the world, that he didn't even look up when he said that to me. It means he didn't fall. But I I had thanked him a hundred times since then to just go, oh, So what I do know is he didn't call. I don't know anything else. I've made it all up. And made myself a victim of it.
1: You've got a neat definition for the trance of scarcity in the book. You call it the unexamined predisposition that lack, struggle, and separation are our defining reality. And then later talk about it as something we think without really thinking.
2: Yeah, again, it's it's our automatic, here's what I've decided this means, based on how I gather data, Yeah. what messages I've heard growing up. My parents both lived through the Depression and both lived through a world war. They had a yeah. lot of reason to say, be careful, there's not enough, consider yourself lucky, all of these kind of things. Like, oh, okay, that's the way life is. Yeah. And it didn't occur to me to it say, yeah, I think there could be another interpretation here. It's like, that wasn't my place.
1: It's really interesting. I don't think my brother has read this book, but he talked in our very first podcast uh, uh, episode, our our pilot, about how often he works with clients who fundamentally, like at the core of their work, is this deep, quiet terror that they Mm -hmm. are not enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a really neat quote that you share Um, by nathaniel brandon in near the beginning of the book that says if my aim is to prove that i am enough the project goes on to infinity because the battle was already lost on the day i conceded the issue was debatable yes and there's the trance as soon as as soon as it's debatable that we are enough we can find evidence everywhere that we're not That we don't have enough, that we can't have enough, that we can't be enough, that we've never done enough, that we've never earned enough, that we will never look good enough, whatever.
2: And and we'll predict our future by never going into that circle that's so opulent out there because I, I don't belong there. I don't deserve it. I can't earn my way in. Yeah. Yeah. So it it's a fatiguing place to come from. And I mean, all we have to do is look around culturally to see the evidence not necessarily about our worthiness but the evidence of not enoughness is indeed everywhere there's no question there's poverty in this world horrific poverty in this world horrific not enoughness yes but we now have spread it onto everything i'm not good enough you're not good enough we'll never get in who what you know what's the point what's the point if if i'm not already in i can't get in screw it
1: The trance itself then ends up being made up of, you go on to say, a couple of different elements, story and soma. It's really a, it's a state of mind, but a kind of a state of being uh, that's made up of story and soma. Say more about what you mean by story. I mean, you're getting at it already, but it's a pretty sneaky process, right? Like, (laughs) as you point out. What if our default way of thinking, maintaining the idea that scarcity is real, is the source of the conditions producing all the evidence that it is so? Yeah, yeah. We keep recreating this and then saying, see, I knew it.
2: And, and I can find support everywhere I look from other people who live in that trance, too. It's like, yeah, man, it's awful. It's pointless. It's like, why bother? Get your master's if you want, but you know, you're know, you still not going to get a decent job kind of thing. I, I, I think... The fact that I am trained in somatics, which literally means the living self as a whole being, like involving flesh and muscle and tissue, but also the story that lives in this soma. So, story and soma are kind of the two pieces that I see as what create the trance or help release us from the trance. Just do this while we're talking, just hold your breath squeeze your throat
3: and imagine the future and then let Mm. that go really relax (sighs) Mm. and imagine the future so
2: it's so accessible it looks like it can't be worth anything you mean that kind of shift could change my reality Uh uh-huh on a daily moment to moment basis. But if I live with people who live in scarcity, in the trance of scarcity, and the I'm not a good, I'm not good enough, you're not good enough, there's not enough, what's the point? It'll never work. If that's if that's what I grow up in, if that's what I hear all the time, then that becomes such a reality for me that there really isn't a reason that my throat would relax, that my muscles would Like, let me sit on the chair so you can feel your butt on the chair. This is always part of somatic suites as we say. Go from your head down to your butt and feel your body, you know, land here. But if those muscles relax, it isn't long before a different story comes along with that. Just either of it's safe or I have time or ah, I'm curious about what will happen next. So something else becomes available. But if everybody around me and my own busy thought, and you know, all you have to do is go to school and think you're not cool enough, and yeah. the whole trance takes over. like, yeah, we were right about that, weren't we? And we still are. <laughs> As yeah. opposed to, you know, that's I, I get it now why they really wanted us to go outside and play in the field and run around. I don't know if the teachers were wise enough to know that that was giving our whole system a chance to reset. Oh, I feel enlivened. You know, I can feel my muscles, my, I can feel my blood moving. Wow. Oh, hey, maybe I am a good person. Maybe I am a worthwhile person. Maybe I, maybe it's okay for me to speak up when I have a good idea. So we get hunkered down into our, um, not enoughness mode pretty early on. And we might have moments when we come out, but predominantly for almost all of us, We're coming back to that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a nice idea, but that's never going to happen here. So the story just keeps building and building and building. And Mm. I think it takes pretty exceptional parents that can keep inviting us to a different conversation, not just about ourselves, but about the world that the world is full of plenty and there's wonderful people and there's endless opportunities. Like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't really think so. I'm just going to keep myself. As squeezed down as possible, well, you could say so. I'm the smallest target that I can be. Yeah. Or it's not. Uh, it's too risky to go out there and make an offer into the world because what if I get rejected? Then they'll be right. I I don't deserve. When we understand that we are the ones that are perpetuating it every day, first of all, it feels like oh shame on me. <laughs> I'm <laughs> the problem. See, I knew See? I was the problem. Yeah.
3: I
1: always screw it up.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. So here's even more evidence of that. But if I realize that the way, if I can see it at all, the two elements I want to look at are the story that I'm living in and the embodiment or the soma that I am creating moment to moment in my system. Like, mm. uh, the, you know, and anybody who's done sports, but if anybody who's done yoga or any kind of martial arts, you don't start it until you get in your body. You know, either you're running laps around the field to warm up, or you're doing your practices in the dojo, or whatever, but it is come on in, get fully inhabited. And certainly in our culture, in Western culture, most of us live from the chin up. We, we have very little information about what actually is going on in our body. Like, uh-huh. am I holding my breath? Really? Huh? I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah. So and to be curious enough about who's here to even consider there might be a different way to engage with my own beings.
1: When you're talking about the story, you're so you're you're talking about narratives, um, in a sense. These are overriding kind of ways of explaining life to ourselves. I appreciated that you pointed out that fundamentally human beings are storytellers. This is you know for what a hundred thousand years, this has been a big part of how we've survived our our minds are organized around story um and it's it's how you know stories contain sort of fundamental truths, they hold the wisdom of our cultures and one of the prevailing wisdoms has been and probably at one point was really maybe even helpful in this way to believe. This is going to be hard. Get used to it. It takes a lot of work. This, you know, we're going to be scrounging for food and may go days without eating and so on. I mean, right as cave dwellers like early on and we've we've carried that for a long, long time. Like this has been kind of how we've explained life to ourselves for a long time, but it's gotten less and less concrete. Now it's gotten to be sm- much subtler stuff like if a boy I like dances with me, but then doesn't call, (laughs) what does it mean? And we fill it in with either is the universe friendly or not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about some of the subtler stories that people live with. The ones we've talked about so far have been pretty, pretty dramatic, but most people don't actually think I'm not good enough in those words. There are all these subtle ways it shows up.
2: Oh, yeah. So we, I think most of us have a storage shed of gathering evidence for my premise. I'm not good enough or I am good enough. I'm worthy or I'm unworthy. I'm difficult. Well, I, I think I say this in the book of my sweet mom, my sweet mother, Southern genteel mom who said to me, honey, people don't like little girls who are loud. And Here she is trying to offer me some things like, so if you're not as loud, more people will like you. This this could work out well. But all I heard was, shut it off and keep it shut off. And so, you know, for the next several decades, I pretty much did. I was very cautious when I spoke. I was really trying to be very respectful. I wanted people to like me, for heaven's sake, so I wasn't going to be obnoxious and be loud all the time. Uh, Except it turns out that that's what my friends love about me most. (laughs) (laughs) But for such a long time, I shaped myself around one comment from someone whose opinion dearly mattered to me. And it was offered completely out of love and protection. But I interpreted it in anything that looks like loud, just shut it down, 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 shut it down. down. Ah! Oh, boy, it's tight in here. But I can keep breathing.
1: I notice it for all the places where people have already kind of pre-decided there are limits. Like, well, that kind of life doesn't happen for people like me. Yeah. Often yeah. around money, you know, that's for wealthy people.
2: Yeah. Um, Those people. Those right. wealthy.
3: Yeah. Right. Or um, that's for the popular kids. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't get to snap my
1: fingers and have a boy want to call me. <laughs> 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 Only other people get that. The cheerleaders get that.
2: Yeah, I mean, exactly. Right? Precisely. And we've got all
1: kinds of iconic, more sophisticated adult versions of it. Um, but just such kind of l- sort of limited assumptions can ride throughout our lives and edit our dreams and our hopes and wishes and uh, we just have a way of it seems like managing disappointment by
3: Uh, not
1: letting ourselves long for anything that's out you know that would be inside that circle
2: so if that's how i'm operating then how do i finish the sentence is the universe friendly it would be not very or not for me i i might Uh, be the exception the mm -hmm. universe could be friendly but i am never gonna get in its grace or be worthy or have the opportunity right so how you know and and we are malleable beings our tissue listens to what's said to us as well as our brain and if i notice that my parents keep saying hush and not even turning around and looking at me then i go oh okay if i want their attention that i i can't make noise and then Mm. i we start shaping ourselves around that And then it turns out our parents say, well, speak up. I can't hear you. But we're always like, what's the best way for me to be for me to at least survive? And I, I think for many of us, we keep driven back to the survival mode a lot rather than going, you know what? I'm here. It's safe for me to be here. I can feel my feet on the floor. I got breath in my belly. I can look around me and see what's there. and What's the most useful way for me to engage, or what would be most fruitful here, or how do I work up my nerve to tell somebody I like them? Mm-hmm. Would that be is that a smart move or is that a dangerous move? And so, so our um, our skill at doubting, critiquing, and second guessing ourselves often just keeps getting better and better, sharper and sharper. Oh, don't do that Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. okay it rang twice he didn't pick up never mind i'm not gonna i'm, not, I'm gonna hang up the phone quick right. all of this that i am kind of finishing the sentence of what's going on in life with my own interpretation so i remember hearing about and not for a long time about high self-esteem kids and i almost was like well, that's such a great idea. Are people actually raising their kids like that now? Because <laughs> I was I was raised to be uh, quiet and appropriate, right. and self esteem be damned. That that really wasn't it. I, I mean, like no one. My parents wanted me to be happy, so that I would show up happy. Yep. But self esteem, oh, you know, manage that on your own.
1: <laughs> it can. It's fascinating that I'll see once in a while. I'll meet somebody who's been raised. Um, quite deliberately to be you know, bold and assertive and go get what's yours and know that you're worth it and nothing but the best. We are the best in our family. That's how it works mm-hmm. here, right? Mm-hmm. Which in itself still comes from this trance of scarcity. Because if I'm not that way, if I don't get enough now, there won't be enough. I better go get mine. Um, <clears throat> and I better show up with all A pluses and I better be captain of the football team because if I'm not those things, I'm not enough. If I'm not a standout, I'm not anybody. It's that like it's so insidious. It shows up everywhere. And one of the things you point to is it. It sets up a life of struggle. We're constantly trying to control our environment to to prove you know to um, somehow outrun this terrible story of not enoughness to prove ourselves, yeah, or or be enough, or
2: monitor every minute. What's appropriate here? Do I go in? Do I stay back? Do I pass the note or do I? Like, how am I supposed to be? Now, because this is a pretty exhausting way of being, we quiet it down so we don't have to listen to it all the time. But it's driving. It's still, you know, telling the ship, go left, go right, whatever. And that level of exhaustion takes us out uh, or and that fatigue can turn into resentment or resignation. Like, what's the point? So then I really am not using the resources that I do have in any way that can benefit me. Like, I remember one time when I finally worked up the nerve to go in and talk to a teacher. You know, it was during the break, she was in the room, nobody else was in the room, and ask her a question that I could just barely get out of my mouth because I was sure it was stupid. And she turned and said, you are the first person that has asked that question in the five years I've been teaching. Good for you. It's like, Oh my God, did I do something good? <laughs> Cause I thought <laughs> I, you know, I had, I stepped over a boundary. Like you don't ask this kind of thing. And we got into a fabulous conversation about being about ontology, which, you know, wasn't being taught in the, whatever it was, probably the algebra class that was going on. So, I could see her. I remember this still, how she kind of lit up by, well, you were the first person that asked that question. Pull up a chair. Let's talk about this. And we really became good buddies all the way through high school and stayed in touch afterwards. And So if it looks like it's dangerous, my mind will very quickly interpret that into, yes, it is. What's the strategy to survive? Get right at the front and have all the answers. Be in the back of the room and never make a sound. Be very, very quiet. Only raise your hand on certain occasion. I'll figure out the strategy that will let me survive. Because we've turned it into a survival question rather than an inquiry about thriving. And that's part of the trance of scarcity. There will be no thriving. And oh my God, who would I be if I was thriving?
1: you made the stunning report here that Americans work on average nine weeks a year longer than Europeans do.
2: Remember, they shut down for the summer.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. My wife and I, when we were on our honeymoon in Italy, ran into couples from all over the world just talking about the honeymoons they were on and ours was this very carefully orchestrated extravagant two weeks we were very proud of ourselves and we knew exactly where we were going to be pretty much every day of the two weeks and we run into an australian couple that had organized their life as australians do where their honeymoon was i think seven weeks long they hadn't quite decided And they had already hit three or four countries and they hadn't decided yet whether they were going to detour to go to the United States. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they're not doing all of that on credit cards and irresponsibly and risking getting fired from their jobs. Their entire culture assumes rest is a good thing. Yes. And we, in all of our extraordinary material abundance here, don't give ourselves much time to enjoy it, do we?
2: No, it's more like that's scarcity. dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. It's, if you're just going to lie around and enjoy what's wrong with you, can't you? Can't you it, be productive?
1: <laughs> it's amazing to watch.
2: If struggle is the way to get there, which is the premise that many of us have and what companies inject into their uh, employees. And, you know, if the, ol- the only way to get to the top is to work overtime and all that kind of stuff, if that's, if that's the, framework that I'm supposed to operate in, then I got to make my cho- choices early. What I give up, and maybe what I give up is pleasure, or thriving, or intimacy, or um, free time, yeah, or hopes. certainly hope. I mean, right. here, here I am now, being a painter, being an artist. And that was not even other than a tiny little thing that I did in the back of my closet, was not something I did for the first 50 years of my life. I wouldn't even consider it as an option. I, I was too busy proving myself and getting stuff right.
1: Well, and none of your paintings would be good enough anyway, right? Well, I mean, like,
2: isn't that the trick? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who do I think I like, am? Uh, exactly. How dare you pick up And a painting
2: for pleasure? What? What is right. that?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. You need to be proving something.
3: So say it
1: more about this idea that what we embody, we become. These stories work their way into our flesh. We carry them with us. Anybody who's worked with me as a client, as a somatic psychologist, like I am, constantly help saying, asking them, and where do you feel that in your body right now?
2: Yeah, yeah, and and that's such well, that's such a gift because most of us have not been trained to feel anything in our bodies.
1: Yes, I mean, really, in terms. Yeah, um, like, lots stop of them, bringing fact, that up.
2: I don't want to oh, talk about it. God,
1: I hate when he asks me that question. Yeah, and we, we often will laugh about it, especially if I ask it in group where other people yeah. are watching and they're like, oh, God, here he goes again with the where is it in your body part. And yet, <laughs> if they can hang in there and God help them, they're very patient with me. Um, it's often where it really leads to to movement. Why is that? Like, what is this about? us holding this in our bodies
2: well in order for me to have sensation in my body and get it quiet enough that my brain can run the show i basically have to freeze down my aliveness for a lot of people that means short or almost no breathing more and more i see wise people going hey Let's everybody just take a second and stretch and take a couple deep breaths. Like, And some people are going, come on, let's just get on with the important stuff. As opposed to, hey, I'm going to see if I can unlock some of these people who are frozen so that they might actually hear what I'm saying in this presentation kind of thing. So I think us Westerners, or certainly us Americans, have come to not trust having like a body that moves and feeling stuff and breathing deeply. And, you know, what do you notice in your belly? What do you notice in your knees? I, I remember one time, my one of my beloved teachers, who is a, a black belt Aikido master, Richard Heckler. And early, early on in one of the first courses I was in, we, we were standing around during a break and he said, Victoria, what do you notice in your legs? And I privately thought, this has to be the most inane question I have ever been asked. What do you mean? What do I notice in my legs? So, I, as best I could, and this was maybe on day one, maybe day two, I thought, okay, well, if he's asking the question, there must be a reason. What does he notice in my legs? What should I be noticing in my legs? What is he noticing in my legs? And finally, I said, I, um, I honestly have no idea. And he said, beautiful answer. And then we as we went through the rest of that training, we all unpacked that together of how much of me have I frozen off, cut off from awareness or sensation because I can't see why it would be useful to do that. And I want to be useful and I want to be valuable and I want to have the answer. I want to be the first one with the right answer. So this kind of striving to be good enough, to be fast enough, to be strong enough, to be whatever it is, so that they'll look at me for the leader. the next person. And so, it's all scarcity because it's also saying there's not enough to go around. There's not enough embrace to go around. There's not enough affirmation to go around, except I'm the one that's squeezing it down or letting it go. And it was revolutionary (laughs) to me when i actually inhabited my whole body. Yeah, i mean it was like it, and by that point everybody's going, "Hey, i can feel my feet." Yes me too. <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's the so weird. Yeah.
2: Because we were holding it as a value for our whole um all of us in the uh the dojo. It's like, "Oh, this is something we actually want." Huh. And yeah. why would i want that? And and we talked a lot about it. Why would you want to know how your body feels? Yeah. Because you have more access to what's happening. And if something is wanting correction or wanting to express more, we can let that, we can let that take place. Like, can you take two more deep breaths while you're sitting there? Can you let your knees fall open a little more easily? Can you tolerate it? So it comes to a, what I call fundamentally a bliss tolerance. And many of us have a low one because bliss, well, you can't you can't trust bliss. It's too good. It's not going to last. So no point spending a lot of time there. Um, and I, I want to be seen as a, a, a serious person and as a successful person. So bliss, what does that have to do with anything? So I'm still monitoring like, and for some of us, I say with great respect and humility, it may be years before I can tolerate feeling anything in my hips because I, I'm from the chin up and i'm really conscientious and i really got to go fast so i i I don't know what that is yeah so kindness is what's called for i think that's the thing i would say most one of the ways to get out of the trance is to be kind to yourself right wow i am really locked into this what would happen well that would be the other thing i would suggest for people maybe even right now so um Grip your fists or squeeze your knees or do whatever. Get your body as tight as you possibly can. And then exaggerate that for the next few seconds. Tighter, 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 tighter. And you're probably holding your breath. And then let it go with the breath. And just let it completely relax as much as you can, as
3: much as you can stand.
2: That's a gift we could give ourselves every time we go to the bathroom. So if we need to do it privately, to really feel my butt bones on the chair, to really feel my feet on the floor, to really feel my shoulders wide enough apart that there's air moving in my lungs. So over-squeezing is a beautiful way to release what's available when I do release as opposed to get your act together no let yourself fall open (laughs) you can always pull it back together when you need it but in this moment do you do you need to be this tight can you let yourself relax one percent more and in working with clients and particularly people high up in their field who are you know have hundreds of people reporting to them it's very dangerous for them to relax. So it really was in bites, like, can you let yourself relax 1% more? I'm not asking you to go farther than that, just 1%. You, and relaxing 1% more usually means that nobody else will notice that you've relaxed. <laughs> you know, you're, you're still the very well put together person. But your body notices it and some aliveness starts going in that goes, oh my gosh, huh. that actually feels pretty good. And then you send them home with an assignment privately, you know, back to their hotel room if they're at a conference or at their own home of three times a day, breathing deeply, shrugging their shoulders, really feeling their feet on the ground, bouncing, whatever, to keep noticing what does it feel like to inhabit here? Because if I've made it so unpleasant to inhabit myself, I don't. I do live from my head up. It it's too it's too unpleasant to be that tight all the time.
1: So we'll come back to this idea of bliss tolerance, because that kind of blew my mind in this, my fourth reading of this book. Um <laughs> and I read slowly, so it's a big deal Ooh. that I read anything multiple times. Um I read deeply but slowly. Um before that though, there's really just it's even sensation tolerance. Like I think part of why we get so tight is because it's it's how we ex- how we control or manage the felt sense of feelings we don't know how or or don't want to have mm-hmm. and especially if the story that's rolling all the time often at a level that's kind of outside our awareness is uh-oh 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 i haven't gone fast enough i'm a little late on this deadline i don't think we're going to make the budget I probably should have more in retirement by now. Like what all of those, yeah. uh-oh, uh-oh, yeah. uh-ohs, right? Because yeah. there's just so much Don't let anybody that see there's...
2: me relax because we got a lot of stuff we have to get done. Yeah. Right,
1: we got a lot to get to. And so our bodies go really tight um, as a way to manage the, the feeling with it. But they, they go tight in, interestingly to me, in very specific ways, depending on what they're holding. And I figured this out as a kid. Sometimes clients get interested in like, what is the life of a future psychologist as a child? Well, here would be a (laughs) funny window into that. I used to stand in grocery lines waiting for my mom to check out, and I would watch the other people and how they stood. They're just standing there, right? They've got Ah, nothing else to do except to stand there the way they stand. And I would get curious about what a weird way to stand. Look at how the shoulders are way over there and the neck is in this strange place and the face is screwed up in this one particular expression and then one day it occurred to me what it would feel like if i took on that exact feeling i mean that exact shape so i just did my best to imitate the lady who was standing there without being too obvious about it and felt this like awful sensation of hopelessness in my chest like immediately and i jumped right back out of it like whoa. It felt like I'd sort of psychically jumped into her body by just imitating her shape. Nowadays, when I stand in a line, I, without even thinking about it, can look sort of across the store and be like, oh trauma. Ah, oh, trauma with men. Aw, oh, there's somebody who's free. Wow. wonder how they got that way, you know? I can, yeah. like, just sort of, you can see it in the bodies, like, right down the line. And there we are all doing this. Um, and what it then leads to that you... Bring up as kind of a theme through the book that I find really interesting is that, of course, this isn't tolerable for very long. So we reach for relief. We've got all these ways we relieve ourselves from this chronic tension. And most of us think of relief as kind of halfway back to joy, (laughs) you know, like it's better than misery. But you make a really compelling argument in the book that has stayed with me that. Relief is the opposite direction. It's a way to go sensation numb.
2: Exactly. And to hold legitimate that how I feel is the way to feel. Yeah. Hence, that's the way to feel. Okay. So I need to relax. Um, uh, I'll do something else because I can't get any tighter or I can't get any, let more aliveness in. Oh, God, no, please don't ask me to let more aliveness in. First of all, I don't know what I would do. What if I fell apart? What if I, what if I felt teary eyed or, no, 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 can't do that. So what keeps me appropriate? And I I think you're spot on here about there are so many of us in our desire to do good, genuinely to do good in the world and to make a contribution that perceive the first hurdle is to be appropriate. Don't speak out of turn. Or if you speak out of turn, you really have to have something important to say. And Do you acknowledge the person or do you cut them off? It's like, oh God, it's just packed with how am I supposed to be in order to be good? Because someone somewhere in there is, if I'm good enough, then maybe my life can work or then maybe people will want me around or whatever. If, then. But all of it is still a barter system and it's still operating in a universe that is not friendly, that does not celebrate me, that does not go, wow, the way I'm sure you talk to your son. It's like, you fabulous little guy, look at what you do. And I, I see that that's changing in lots and lots of families too. I mean, the way, and I'm at least 20 or 30 years older than you. I was raised a certain way that fortunately really isn't being used that much anymore. You know, the discipline, go do your homework, be quiet, speak when spoken to whatever that is. If you're going to mm. play, play before daddy gets home. That was one of the things. If you're going to play, go mm. now play before daddy gets home. Cause he's not going to want to see that. It's like, okay. <laughs> mm. um, but to actually acknowledge there's a, a living vital human being in there that Has such a range of possibilities. How can I, as a parent or a a partner, because we certainly can do it for each other, how can I help keep that window open rather than getting it get very, very tiny? Because the trance of scarcity says, Oh, no, you can't. Oh, no, there isn't. Oh, no, it won't. Don't even try to make it work because it doesn't work. And if I'm already feeling defeated, I don't have much generosity for somebody else to be great or to yeah. do anything that would, would fill their tank, would make them feel proud or eager or, yeah. So, so I, for me, encourage- the part of the, the, the part of the trance that we, it's the unexamined that we take as real that just has us squelch. It has us, you know, we have our foot on it, our foot on us. Learn how to fit, learn how to fit, learn how to fit. I I don't think so.
1: It's fascinating to just go to, for everybody listening out there, to just ask yourselves briefly this. What do I do for relief? (laughs)
4: Yes.
1: And uh, some will say I smoke weed or I have a drink or I watch a lot of Netflix or um, I sit on the couch for hours at a time and watch sports or something. Uh and then ask yourself, and if you didn't, what would you have to feel? <laughs> and why? What's all the tension about for you? Cuz we've all got a little bit different version of this story. Some people know they're attractive enough or they have enough money, um but their story is about something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Um I nobody really likes me, even though I have all the Botox you'd ever want. And Mm. I look just like I'm supposed to look. Mm. I don't Mm. have any friends who really know me or something, right? I mean, we've all got something that we need this relief from. And then get really curious about the sensations you hold in your body around that. Yeah. What if those could move in a different way that wasn't about relief? It wasn't about some distraction or getting to numb, Mm. but actually getting to something that felt more like alive.
2: That's a really beautiful question. And honoring that for many of us, it's too dangerous to feel more alive. Yeah. It already doesn't yeah. feel great. So it's not, I, 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 don't, I don't want to feel more alive. I just want to be, just want to fit in. I just want to clamp it down. I just want to keep it quiet. And if, you know, or the other thing is, if I let myself feel the rage in me, yeah. then it would be a dangerous place. I, I can't let it out. Because if I spew it on somebody else or whatever it is, and so we still treat this being that we are, that we need to be managed and supervised closely for us to be appropriate. Because if you're appropriate, it looks like you have a better chance <laughs> of moving right. forward in the world. If somebody else approves, Yeah.
1: So the way you put these two together is to talk about states. This is something that is is frequently used in the world of hypnosis. Instead of just dealing with thoughts or feelings or sensations, they talk about the comprehensive as the you know the entire state somebody mm-hmm. is in. Um, mm-hmm. And for you, it's this. Well, and for them, it's this mix of story and soma. Story: how we orient ourselves, and soma: how we inhabit ourselves. Right. And the two together equal states, you know. And you can imagine, like, there's this entire range of states that are available to us, infinite. We know that the state of joy isn't just a happy thought. The state of joy is a whole felt sense. It's like your body, you know, is somewhere between drenched in or steeping in or exploiting with something. Yeah. Yeah. And we know what the state of resentment looks like. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Right? Right? Or you mentioned like around money just think of the word tightwad right a tightwad can be somebody with very little money or somebody with a whole lot of it but their bodies are physically almost constricted around their fear that if i give up any of this they will never come back to me i will quickly go to not enough
2: yeah and so um if if we're in that State of not enoughness, insufficiently see can't work, isn't good, danger. Then we organize ourselves around how do I survive in danger with the least amount of damage to be done to me, or uh, how how can I show up in a way that's either going to be so ferocious that people will back off and let me be who I want to be, or I'm going to be so quiet and over to the side that nobody's going to point, oh, you, you come out here, you're the one that we're going to get. So, if there's, a, there's an element of safety here of how do I be safe and not, and I would love to replace the question with how do I feel joy? How do I be alive? How do I be Delighted? How do I be loving? How do I be generous? And there are people, this has been interesting to me, how many people believe they are generous because they tithe on their income. And that's the only requirement they have to meet in order to be generous, as opposed to, wow, you were fabulous. Tell me more about that. Or you look so great today. I I have to say for me, I get so much joy out of being generous with people. And it's not dollars coming out of my hands. It's like, oh, oh, go first. I, I, I only have, no, no, you go first. You need to get out of here. I, I easily can mm-hmm. st- stay here a few more minutes in line. Or you look fabulous. Or what a sweet thing for you to say to that person. I do. I interrupt. I, I, um, I get in people's business and even young people too, when I see them do something and I said, And and we'll say something like, that was such a lovely gesture you just made to them. I don't know if you made their day, Mm. but you made mine. Thank you. And they're kind of like,
1: what? Well, you're speaking um, to a big part of that cycle of abundance that we'll talk about in this next show. Um, I wonder if we could just talk a little bit about just day to day. I mean, so the cycle of abundance is kind of, it's it's really an entirely different way to conceive of life and, and to go about your, you know, your... Your existence. But you talked first in the first half of the book first about just what is it to attend to your state and then begin to adjust it just in gentle, subtle ways yeah. as you move yeah. toward what you call centering. Can you speak to that some like yeah. attending and adjusting?
2: Yes. And, and thank you for saying it that way, because it's kindness. <laughs> Yeah. It's not, I'm going to ram this down my throat until I get it <laughs> about how to yeah. attend and adjust to my state. It's that, what's going on right here? So uh, I highly recommend this for people. When you're in the bathroom, you're generally by yourself. It's a moment to simply check in and say, how am I? What's going on? What do I notice is so right now? Oh, my mind's really busy working on this problem. Or, wow, I really needed to go to the bathroom. Or Kind my legs are tired, or anything, but to take a moment and actually look, scan—you know—do a body scan. What's what's happening here? Attend to my state. My mind is so busy. I feel resentful. Resentful. Um, it's too loud outside. I wish they'd go away. Just all of that, but it's getting me back into my body rather than in my brain or somewhere just outside of it. You know, the farther, what was it Mr. Duffy lived a far, uh, a near distance to his body. Well, that's kind of it. Just far enough away that I don't actually have to feel anything, but I can see what's going on. So to attend, and it's a a simple, in the beginning, it's not simple. Uh, And it's often not easy to take five seconds, 10 seconds or whatever, and just stop and go, what's happening right now in me and around me? What do I notice? And I I want my viewfinder to be as clear as it can to be able to see anything. So it's not, I just have to find the good parts about me. It's just like, what do I notice here? What's happening? Yeah. I'm holding my breath. My throat's tight because I'm not saying something I need to say. And I'm looking forward to going home. Okay. So I just am attending to. And then the next question would be, is there anything? that I can adjust to make my life experience richer, warmer, easier, more luscious, comfortable, whatever. I, I like using words like luscious and delicious and extravagant, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, to just catch and shift. What is my current state if I just took a photograph of it? <sighs> and shift. And if I was going to shift, what would I shift to? And these can really be inquiries that I don't have to be hard with myself about. And one of them may be, I don't know how I feel. I I can't feel anything. Got it. Got it. And what would I want to shift to? Maybe feeling more? I'm not sure. That sounds scary. To just really have some genuine kindness and generosity to ourselves.
1: I like that you suggest people attend first to their current state. And for a little while, not try to make it something else, Um, because otherwise the trance of scarcity has too much time to tell us um, we're failing and I'll never get there. And it's impossible for me to feel the way I really need to feel and, you know, and look at, see there, I'm terrible at this. Everyone else can do it. Uh, All of those things to just be able to notice what's going through my mind and heart right now.
3: Mm -hmm. And what
1: does that feel like in my body? And could I just breathe while that's so? Yeah, And you might, everybody
3: just listening, try that for two breaths. Just notice, like, what's happening now? And I like this idea of just coming back to center.
4: Mm
1: -hmm. One of the quotes I missed the first time through, that I really loved this time, was you shared that it said that the founder of Aikido... Mori Yushiba always appeared to be completely centered. And when students asked how he did it, he replied that he was actually often off-center, but that he simply noticed that fact and returned to center quickly before the others had realized he was off. We talked about that the other night, just having a conversation about this, this interview to come, and you pointed out in such a lovely way, isn't that generous and humble of him to admit that to his students? Them, giving them permission to be off-center hundreds of times oh, a day.
2: Oh, yes, yes, yes. And, and
1: permission to come back as a regular practice.
2: Right, right. And I think that that's really true in most martial arts. I haven't done all of them. And I did some Aikido as it lived in the somatic world that I was learning in. But to be able to say, I'm off-center a lot. Yeah. It's it's okay to say that. It's okay to know that. It's what you do with it once you notice it. Give me a moment to come back. And how many times um, I've been around people who I respect who will say, give me just a moment. Okay, I wanted to make sure I really heard your question before I respond to it because I had a, an immediate action which wasn't going to be as useful. So, That kind of self-awareness. And again, if I'm going to increase my self-awareness, I have to increase my kindness to myself, my tolerance of myself, my generosity to my own dear self who is doing the best she can. It's like I am unwilling to look at myself if all I'm going to meet with is criticism. I, I just will stop looking. I will stop knowing. I. It's not worth it to me.
1: I, I can't attend to my experience if I'm only going to criticize it. Um, yeah. And it doesn't change because once criticized, it just feels worse.
2: Oh, yeah. And there's usually so, a little tightening that goes along with that. So it's like, yeah. okay, I got myself pretty tight now. Let's go ahead with the rest of that. <laughs> yeah.
1: One thing I found really interesting about the way you approach this is, you know, as you say, you can approach a state that you want to change from either the story or from the soma, either one is fine. Ultimately, they both will change. Um, so you can go to the one that's easier for you in that particular moment. Uh, I thought I would tell you a story about um, something that happened, oh shoot, years ago, almost 15 now. Uh, we had this weird experience where a neighbor, um, who, um, I have to say, just had an incredible ego. Um, this was not a guy who was interested in asking permission to do anything and Mm. so he decided he wanted to build a fence and that it would look best if it came about six feet into our yard so he bolted his fence to our fence drilling into it without permission and then built a fence that like came way over on our side of the property which was a curious choice so i called up and was like Hey, man, I think your handyman um, might have not known where the property line was because he built the fence this way. And the guy, um, I left this message and he left me a message back, absolutely bawling me out. I mean, literally cussed me out that I would dare to question him. And who do I think I am wow. that I think I, that, you know, right? It was very strange. You can imagine the adrenaline surge that hit me <laughs> in the middle of the day when I pick up this. I was just like, wow, that was really incredible aggressive, And then I had to respond. And I'm not a I don't love conflict. You know, it's not my favorite. Um, I don't look forward to it. Some people get all jazzed up for that. But that really fired up a lot of adrenaline. And it I was finding there wasn't much to change about the story. I guess there was a little. Uh, but I had to make this phone call and my insides were, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I tried something funny, which was I just decided, well, what if I were to hold my body and breathe as if somebody who were making a fairly easy phone call, even though I could have real compassion for the fact this is not a fun phone call. I don't <laughs> want to make this call at all. I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to deal with this guy. But I can at least give my body permission to sit as if it were having a different experience. So I worked on that for a little while. And sure enough, was able to make the call in a calm way. And curiously, I found myself way less likely to either power or retaliate. Mm, I didn't get beautiful. big with him. Beautiful. I could just stay in the kind of where my body was. Yeah. Um. And I've noticed on my good days, I can work with with that similarly, that I, even when I'm just sort of, I don't know, half an hour behind on a deadline or running late for work or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can just Mm -hmm. say, what if I were to breathe as if I were on time? Keep moving down the road. Perfect. Yeah. It's fascinating how well it works.
2: Yeah. And, and that kind of, that's a generous act to oneself. Yeah. What if we just treated this like, what if we just breathe through this like just to offer these slight things which are, And they include, I get it. I know how pissed off you are. I know how much you'd like to come over there and and make it clear to him how he's misbehaving. And in the face of that, how about if we do this? How about if we breathe three times? How about if we say the only thing we want out of the conversation is, how about? How about if we just make room for it, to make room for all of my feelings and not have them be the ones that, um, uh, not have my reactions be the only thing that get airtime. Yeah. So, in this moment, what would be the best outcome? Well, that I am the person I want to be when I'm on the phone. Mm-hmm.
0: It's Pete again. Pretty great, right? There's so much more, but first we're taking a bit of a pause so you can digest that and feel your way through it and play with it all with Victoria in an exercise. Before Victoria gets back and we take on this exercise, I have to ask, do you want to be part of a little change yourself? <laughs> That's fantastic. Because you can do just that at truestory.fm slash paradox. We love podcasts, but that hour you just listened to with Victoria took many, many more hours of our Motley team here to organize, record, edit, and deliver to you. Your membership makes you a key part of the engine that is listener-supported podcasting. For just $5 a month, you can support the time we put into creating and producing this show, and just for members, I sit down with Dodge for a conversation about each interview every week that you can only access through your personal podcast feed once you sign up. We're calling those episodes Afterthoughts, a chance for Dodge and me to have a conversation about their conversation. We share lessons learned, tools for integration, we talk about how our lives are changing as a result of that conversation, and of course we laugh at each other along the way. Thanks to you all for joining us on this journey. And now, here's Victoria Castle with an exercise to help us all break the trance.
2: sitting probably most people are sitting so i'd like for you to bring your attention into your knees now you can have your attention in more parts of your body if you want to but really focus on your knees and if it's helpful for you to put your hand on your hands on your knees you can do that too but your your attention is really in your knees and then i would like for you to tighten every muscle that's related to that knee so it's going to be coming up your thigh it's going to be going down your shins it's going to be in your calves and it's going to be in your feet so get them tight tight and maybe you need to even cl- cl- pull your knees closer together to really make this work so everything that can tighten your knees and simply notice hold that for a moment and simply notice where your back is in this point, keep, keep the flex. I know it's tight. It won't be much longer. Where, where your back is. Is it straight? Is it tall? Is it hunched over? What your neck is like? What your feet are like? And just squeeze it down even more for about three more seconds. And then with an inhale and a big exhale, just let it all go and just sit. And notice what you notice you don't have to be in a hurry and it could be everything from wow I got them really tight or that hurt or I can really feel myself sitting in the chair now I couldn't for a while because I've gotten myself so pulled up or what does this have to do with anything all of that's totally welcome and now Eyes open or closed. Once again, let your knees be part of the fluid system that comes from the top of your head, down your shoulders, down through your gut, your belly, all your muscles, all your bones. That that the knees are just a junction that all of that energy goes through and down into your legs and into your feet and out the soles of your feet. And if that's enjoyable, keep doing it and give yourself a couple more deep breaths. i have just, if my knees were a passageway. And then for a quick moment, just squeeze it all tight. Hold your breath, squeeze it tight. Lift your butt cheeks off the chair and then let it go. And If I notice that I prefer one to the other, can I give myself that more? If I start to feel tightness in my gut or my butt or my knees or my feet, can I just say, what would it feel like if I was 1% more fluid? Hmm. We don't have to go for... 30% Thirty percent more fluid. Just one percent was just one percent more at ease. And then we could even end with, and how does the world look to me from here? So I, I'm playing with the um, the bandwidth of tight too fluid, over and over, over and over. I just want to play with the bandwidth all the time, whether it's my shoulders, whether it's my jaw. I wear a mouth guard at night because I clenched my jaw for so long. I have to keep wearing it now because at night it just locks back up again. So all the places which are automatic for holding, which are, by the way, around uh, there's a band around our eyes, there's a band around our jaw, there's a band around our throat, there's two or three on the chest, rib cage, all of it, all the way down. We've got all these bands of holding. Can I just let all of it be 1% more fluid? 1% more at ease. Great thing to do while you're driving if you're ever in traffic too. Just like, let it go. You are perfectly capable of driving without clattering the steering wheel. Just to give the range so you don't have to be perpetually caught in the trance of not enoughness. Whatever it may be, I'm not enough, it's not enough, there's not enough. (sighs) At ease.